0: Welcome to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer Podcast. My name is Richard, and I'm your announcer. We are pleased to be using our one talent to the glory of God with the desire to grow our brothers and sisters in holy communion with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The truth is revealed in the growth of the podcast in 47 countries, as well as the encouraging comments and heartfelt questions you have all sent us. We thank you for listening and sharing your experiences in prayer. And now, we are very excited to announce our October surprise. Fred also has a celebration announcement. And speaking of our host, here he is now my friend and yours, Fred. Thank you once again, Richard, for those very kind words and your appreciation of everyone who listens. The last extended introduction, I forgot to mention how much I just appreciate most of all your friendship. And for those of you out there, I don't think we've discussed it before. Richard and I met just a few years before our mutual retirements, and I am really thankful for his continued friendship. We are coming up now to the middle of October in our October surprise, and I wanted to, at this point, truncate the introduction. Uh, Richard, by the way, that means Jordan, <laughs> just so everybody has a little less to wade through. Quickly, then, again, I want to thank everybody for listening and the encouragement that that is to me. There's been some really fantastic growth this year, and as we again thank you and Richard, obviously. Our gratitude to God is uppermost in our minds. He's given us salvation. He's given us the Holy Spirit. And it's through his mercies that this lowly slave of his even has a chance to encourage anyone who listens to a life of prayer, to a conversation with God. So thank you, Jesus, for that. His mercies also allow and even encourage us to our close communion with him, Indeed, as we have been hearing, J.C. Ryle reminds us prayer is a command, and as it is my proclivity to stress our growing peace and assurance and joy and comfort as we make prayer our daily habit, our conversation with God, a consistent part of our lives, we again are spending this month with Pastor Ryle. He lived, and I misspoke in the first introduction, he lived in the 19th century, and we are reminded of how critical prayer is. As an act of obedience, which it is, we find our way into the presence of the Holy Father, our obedient Savior, the Son, and the indwelling Holy Spirit who energizes us in the graces of God. Thank you once again for listening, and now let's go to the episode. Welcome to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer podcast. My name is Fred, and I am the podcast principal. And we are in day eighteen of our October surprise for this year, and we are going through a little bit of a a book. It would be these days they called it a treatise way back in the eighteen hundreds, but it's on prayer, and it's by a man named J.C. Ryle. If you haven't listened to any of the episodes before. And it is basically centering on the fact that prayer is a command. Really quickly, I needed that when I first got saved to start praying. So we wanted to start here with the idea from J.C. Ryle that prayer is a command. And we've seen some really good stuff. He's a really good writer and fairly easy to read as well for when he wrote. And we're on page somewhere between 8 and 10. It depends on how your ebook distributes what you're reading. But he says, as he continues his argument, he says, And I say furthermore, that of all the evidences of the real work of the Spirit, a habit of hearty prayer is one of the most satisfactory that can be named. And then he went on to say, A man may preach from false motives, a man may write books and make fine speeches and seem diligent in good works, and yet be a Judas Iscariot. But a man seldom goes into his closet and pours out his soul before God in secret unless he is in earnest. The Lord himself has set his stamp on prayer as the best proof of a true conversion. When he sent Ananias to Saul in Damascus, he gave him no other evidence of his change that Saul's his change of heart than this. Behold, he prayeth, and sincerely he prayed. And we talked about that yesterday. We've talked about this passage yesterday, the first paragraph about it being a proof of the Holy Spirit. And we looked at how the Holy Spirit does lead us into our family relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but then also how He moves us to pray. The Spirit moves us. I was reading in Revelation just this morning, seeing in chapter one that John says He was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. He was obviously being led in prayer, and that's when God responded with the answer, the book of Revelation, that he gave John. So when we are in the Spirit, when we are praying, God moves. And we saw yesterday that the movement of the Holy Spirit was key in our prayers and also just drawing us, our hearts and our minds and our souls, into those prayer conversations. And then today, one of the most striking things that I have read so far to me is when he says, But a man seldom goes into his closet and pours out his heart before God in secret unless he is in earnest. And how true that is. It is pretty amazing that that is the case, and we see that all the way through Scripture. And it's that being earnest, when we talk in our purpose at the Free Range Preacher of a growing, biblical, dynamic, sincere, soul-satisfying prayer life that glorifies God, That's part of what we're talking about, that dynamic, that authentic dynamism that we are speaking of when we give that motto there is what J.C. Ryle is talking about here. Going to prayer in earnest, going into your closet in earnest is profound. And that's where God wants us. He wants us pouring out our hearts before him. We have talked several times over the years about David and his prayer life. In fact, he comes up probably every episode almost. Paul in his closet, when he was rejoicing, when he got real with God, we might say, of course, I believe he always was, but when he prayed for that thorn in his flesh to be removed, the answer he got and the comfort he got and the wisdom he got from God as to God's purpose in his thorn in the flesh carried him on. It emboldened him. It made him realize he needed to be weak to let God work through him. Martin Luther, praying for hours at a time. George Mueller, if you haven't read about his life, you would do well to read about his life. And he left everything to prayer. As he grew and matured in his prayer life, in his spiritual life, he eventually weeded out every single support system except God and prayer. And you can read of of the stories. And he talks about, in his biography, he talks about thousands of answers to prayer that he also cataloged, and times when he he ran orphanages, if you haven't heard of him. He ran orphanages. He was a pastor. He ran some orphanages. And there were times in the morning they would get up, meet at the breakfast table, and have nothing to eat, and then pray, thanking the Lord for his provision. And inevitably, somebody came to the door with extra milk or extra bread, whatever they needed for breakfast that morning. But that is going to prayer in earnest. Now, if you think real quickly, think of the last time or a a memorable time when you were truly in distress. We want to set aside how long it took you from the time you realized the distress you were in to the time you took it to prayer. We've talked about that a few times here. There's no judgment there. The fact is, you finally got to prayer, you finally got to Jesus in earnest with what you needed. What I'd like you to do is just for a second, remember the desperation that caused you to cry out, that caused you to fall on your face and pray. And it may have been for salvation. It may have been for a tragedy in your life or a loved one you would like to have healed or be safe. And when you were in that desperate situation, do you remember the feeling of that, that that drove you there, that drove you not only to the, to desperation, but to the throne room of God on your knees? to plead your case. And you may not remember the words you spoke, but I'll bet you remember how it felt, how your soul poured out to him, the emotion that you poured out to him. And I don't want to bring up any sadness necessarily, but as your soul gushed out or trickled out or your concerns, your desperation flowed out like a torrent, ponder the release of that that sadness gave you as you let it, as you felt it go out uh, and go to God, how you, how that felt and that fear or sense of emptiness or whatever it is that drove you to being on your knees before God, your cries before God, as you let those things out and gave them over to God, I think you'll find that that emotion, that speaking to God, to being in earnest before him, as J.C. Raw would put it, that that is what was able to get you off of your knees the balance of probabilities are greatly in favor of the fact that you didn't get your answer before you got off your knees but you did get enough of an answer enough of assurance enough of the comfort of god to get off your knees and go on and you preserved and you waited and if you are still waiting for that answer keep on praying. Remember Luke 18, 1, that at all times we ought to not faint, but pray. And that's a fret of phrase there. But if you do have the answer, if you have received the answer from God, then you know the great release, the great rejoicing in your soul, the singing, if you can sing, the singing to yourself that you have done, the gratitude that now pours out of your heart and soul, the God who answered your prayer, the excitement and joy. And I have to tell you, for me, wonder when I see what God does, especially those times, and I've mentioned them before, when I'm not only on my knees, but on my face before God. And he has still answered every single prayer that I've ever prayed when my attitude has been on my face before him. And it's a wonder because we don't deserve any of it. We don't, sometimes we don't even expect the answers, but there they are, because he is faithful. And you know in those times what it is to empty your soul and to know the strength and then the joy that comes and gets you off of your knees and allows you to go on. One of the favorite episodes for me in the life of David, that point this point out comes in 2 Samuel 15, 25, and 26. And real quickly, the situation, and you have have heard these stories as well. Prayerfully, you have read them at some point. But David's son, Absalom, rebelled against David. David was forced to flee out of the city, and he was in great distress. As a matter of fact, well, we'll see this here in a second. But he was in great distress. And the priest, Zadok, brought the Ark of the Covenant with David to go. And David told him to take the Ark back. He he told him to take it back to the city. and, And Zadok said, no, it should be with you. And David said, no, it belongs in the city of God. It belongs in Jerusalem, basically. And then his answer, and this is the prayer. This is when he is doing business with God. And the king said to Zadok, return the Ark of God to the city. If I find favor in the sight of the Lord, then he will bring me back again and show me both it and his habitation. But if he should say thus, I have no delight in you. Behold, here I am. Let him do to me as seems good to him. And that's a prayer of faith. That's in earnest before God. David was in that situation where his son rebelled. He had to flee against the city. He was confused, and he was sad. In the subsequent verses to this, verse 30 and following, David went up. He went with a group. He was very sad. He was weeping. He was humiliated. He didn't even have any shoes. But that prayer, let him do to me as seems good to him enabled him in his brokenness to get up and go on. And the answer didn't come immediately. It took a while. In fact, as he was going along, he had people there with him that were weeping with him, that cared for him. But he ran on to a man named Shimei, who cursed him. So he endured the sadness, he endured the humiliation, he endured the cursing of one of his enemies and actually the prayer of his enemy that he would be that he would pay for what he did to Saul in this eyesight Shimei's sight. and then he had to wait and the wait included a battle of David's forces with his son Absalom and his forces and he didn't want Absalom killed but that's what happened his son died and then he greatly he was greatly saddened that he lamented oh Absalom Absalom my son you probably heard read that before or heard somebody read that and then he was rebuked because he had actually won the day and he followed the advice of his general and he went back and sat at the gate and i can't i can't think of anything else but he helped encourage the people there they had won the battle they restored him as king and then he was back but again that broken prayer that brokenness even while he was waiting It enables us to carry on, and I just love the prayer. It's a prayer of faith, faith in God. He knows God's going to do what's best. Return the ark of God to the city. If I find favor in the sight of the Lord, then he will bring me back again and show me both it and his habitation. But if he should say thus, I have no delight in you. Behold, here I am. Let him do to me as seems good to him. And that's the attitude of faith. That the holy spirit brings god i want your answer i don't want just what i want i want your answer and in psalm 34 david is rejoicing over a different circumstance a different situation the one where he had to hide in the cave of agilem but his voice reflects the ultimate answer god brings to all of us and david went on from here after his son absalom died and he went back to the kingdom. And he says in Psalm 34, starting in verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, that's verse 6, and saved him out of all his troubles. And then verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. My beloved brethren, the only way we can truly take refuge in Him is when we come into His presence and pour out our hearts before Him. He will give us what it takes to endure. He will give us what it takes to understand. And when He shows us the answer, we will rejoice like David the Lord hears the brokenhearted, he says in Psalm thirty-four, eighteen, and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, verse 19, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. To really know the goodness of the Lord, my beloved brethren, we need to know and understand and pour our hearts out before him and let him work on that. Somebody asked me once, many years ago now, what the song meant when it says, I've tried him o'er and o'er, over and over. And what it means is we go to him, we trust him, we go to him in prayer, and we see him act, and he passes those tests over and over. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this day and your beauty in it. We do just bow before you in humility and in whatever state that we are in now, sorrow or joy, waiting, wondering, we bow before you and we present them to you, even like Hezekiah. This is the threat. This is the situation. Lord, please take care of it. And we trust that you will. Help us to be ready for whatever the answer is and to glorify you in it. We bow before you for your goodness and your mercies and your grace, praying that you will move on our hearts. Show yourself to us in your word and in our everyday events. Make us people of prayer so that we can glorify you and pray for our world and pray for those we love. Yours is the power and the kingdom and the glory, and we pray it in your name. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I will give thanks to thee in the great congregation. I will praise thee among the mighty throng. Brethren, let's pray for one another.